Sunder, Episode 1, Compulsory Banking. In this story, it's 1997. It's April, a mild weekday around 2.30 in the afternoon. I'm 25 years old. I have a full-time job working in a bakery as a baker. I have a fiancé who I've been lying to about saving money. I also live in a windowless shed behind a rental house in Portland, Oregon, and sleep in a sleeping bag on a thin pad on the shed floor. I have a 15 by 30 foot garden. Uh, This version of myself 25 years ago thinks about politics and smokes too much marijuana. I struggle with depression and lack some adult coping skills, but more to the point, I'm about to walk into a bank and commit a solo armed bank robbery. In 1997, Bill Clinton was president. Elton John's Candle in the Wind and Chumbawamba's Tub Thumping were hot pop songs. Biggie Smalls was murdered in 1997, and the movies Titanic, The Fifth Element, Starship Troopers, and Men in Black all came out that same year. Princess Diana died that year, as did Judy Berry of Earth First. In 1997, the Kyoto Accords were assigned, and Mars rover Sojourner landed. Uh, The Heaven's Gate cultists commit mass suicide this year. In 97, Google.com did not yet exist, and the 56K dial-up modem would come out this year as Cutting Edge. Also in 97, the internet is not much more than about 100,000 websites total. DVDs came out the year before, and everybody's still renting videotapes from Blockbuster to watch on their VHS players. That's 1997. At the doors of the bank, I'm wearing a baseball cap over a blonde Eva Gabor wig, a nylon stocking over my face. I have on two jackets and two pairs of pants, because I'm planning on stripping off the outer set after the robbery to change my description. I have an army surplus version of a messenger bag strapped flat to my belly under my jacket to throw in everything after. I have a paper bag in my left jacket pocket for the money, because it is bad form to show up to a robbery without a bag to put the money in. I'm wearing disposable gloves. Also, I have a loaded Browning 9mm, legally purchased a year earlier, with a holster at the small of my back, and three spare magazines. I have timed and practiced changing out of the disguise about 45 seconds. I have planned a route and a waypoint between where I live and the bank, a place to potentially reassess carrying the disguise, check for dye packs, and if needed, ditch evidence. I also have a good idea of the layout of the bank, because I cased it two weeks prior. Two entrances on opposite sides. Teller windows, offices, vault to the east, open floor plan to the west with a smattering of desks. Additionally, I have operational security in that I have not shared my plan with anyone. I have no crime partners, left no notes, confided in no one. I was neither the first nor the last, but my getaway vehicle is a 10-speed bicycle that I parked in the driveway of a low-traffic house a block away. I don't know the other bicycle bank robbers, uh, though a search engine review suggests three or four at least locally. And to be clear from the jump, I'm not going for the bank robber mythos. A dude on a bike is mostly dorky and low-rent hilarious, not some movie version of getaway cars and driving skills and coolness under pressure. My plan is to rob the bank and either get away with it or die in a shootout with the cops. If I got away with it, I plan to use some of the money for myself and to give some of the money to the free Mumia Abu Jamal fund. This was, in my mind, a way to justify the robbery. I'm sad to say Mumia is still in prison today, 25 years later, though no longer on death row. In my plan, I've given myself two minutes inside the bank, figuring a three to five minute response time for the police from when an alarm is tripped, which I assume is right away from when I enter. I plan to get everyone on the floor to better control the space and prevent people from considering heroics. 
I've practiced short scripts of what I'm going to say. Most bank robberies fall into the category of quote-unquote low-skilled crime. Uh, armed robbery or strong arm has a short list of requirements, and while there are successful armed robbers who pull off hundreds of bank robberies the way others clock into a 9-to-5 job, the majority take a few thousand at best, and the cost-benefit ratio mostly sucks ass. The successful bank robbers are more often bank employees and board members embezzling funds from the inside. Think the savings and loan crises of the 1980s and 1990s in the U.S. that cost billions because of the fraud. Or bank employees that embezzle funds, sometimes in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions. And of course, no bank robber can fill the shoes of Chase Manhattan CEO Jamie Dimon, the master at work, busy robbing clients and the public. Or Wells Fargo, which paid a $3 billion fine in 2020 admitted fraud in systematically creating millions of fake accounts and charging customers fees on those accounts. Or the too-big-to-fail banks that make billions off the implicit guarantee that the U.S. government will have to bail them out if they shit the bed and destroy economies. The number of banks that launder money for cartels, provide tax dodges for the elites, or are fronts for U.S. intelligence operations is legion. Goldman Sachs, for example, bilks nations around the world for billions, with Goldman somehow always coming out of the scenario with obscene profits. Criminal operations that clear in an hour what every physical bank robber in the U.S. total steals in a decade. This doesn't mean my responsibility is in any way negated for my actions as an individual criminal. It it instead means know the conditions of the field in which you work, or in my case, past tense, worked. These days, I have a purpose and a mission, and focus on the conditions of the multiracial working class so that I may know now how to affect change and build power. I have worked imperfectly to sunder the bonds that liberal society instills, the soma of a mythic normalcy somewhere in a comfortable past to, one, to which one may return. Call it the return to brunch or the, quote, American dream, a dream always restricted by race amongst a long laundry list of categories, but now, clearly, three generations of decline broadly. Call it the ticking clock of climate extinction if humanity does not decarbonize our economies. Call it the understanding that technological fixes are things sold to consumers to maintain passivity, and that this role of consumer does not suit humanity and steals our agency. Breaking free this illusion means you may act, but action without purpose is not fruitful nor wise. I want to activate those who are paralyzed. I want to channel those who would succumb to despair or paralysis or self-destruction to instead find fulfillment in the struggle now and remold yourself to be an effective organizer. There are numerous labor and electoral battles to wage and win together. It's time to stand with your siblings or live on your knees. Let's begin. There are contradictory aspects of my character and flaws I'll do my best to acknowledge. I'm a member of my community, and I don't live a criminal lifestyle anymore, but I also have an FBI file and a police file. I'm going to describe and talk about violence and crime in prison, frankly, hopefully without spending too much time fetishizing or glorifying or moralizing. There are important lessons to be learned and shared. Some of what I learned is very applicable right now to the political situation today. People like true crime, and while my breadcrumb sins are hardly the stuff of legend, it's the circus that helps wash down the bread. Each episode will move the story forward. Next week, we'll enter the bank and start the clock. Hi, I'm Brian, the host of Sunder. In the podcast, I'll walk you through an armed bank robbery I committed in 1997 and the aftermath, so there's true crime described from the first person. 
I'll also be discussing politics from the point of view of a volunteer labor organizer and socialist, so it is a political podcast. And lastly, I will talk about how to break free from the zero-sum paralysis of this life, how to take action and change this world in your community right now. You and I together will see if there's some room to move true crime voyeurs and podcast passivity into something else. There's a segment of the population in the U.S. that thinks there's something to return to in the past, a return to, quote, normalcy. But climate extinction is real, and there is no return flight. The ships lie burned on the shore. Welcome to the most exciting decade in your life. There's not a moment to lose. Time to cleave away from the old world that is never coming back, and sunder those bonds that cause you suffering. Welcome to Sunder, your newest parasocial friend. Wake up! Hey, wake up! It's our summer parking lot sale. Where free is a very good price. Free mini brunch. Free Tom Peterson haircut. Free gift with every purchase. That's our famous seven-piece living room group for only $4.98, plus a free six-by-nine area run. Join us this weekend. Have a chip. Take a sip. Sit right down and have a clip. Now that's Tom Peterson. And glorious too. Analyzing Conditions The American science fiction author Ursula Le Guin once said, We live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. Resistance and change often begin in art, and very often in our art, the art of words. This world we live in is one of inequality and exploitation. A tiny percentage of humans live with more wealth than we can imagine. Simultaneously, over 40 million humans live in actual slavery on Earth today. 7 million humans died of starvation in 2020. 6.6 million humans in 2020 died of air pollution. 689 million people live in extreme poverty. In the U.S., one of the few countries in the Western world without universal health care, 60,000 people die each year for the lack of that health care. The dominant economic system is capitalism, which is focused on the profit motive to replicate and grow. On our planet, 4% of the world population, the United States, consumes 25% of the planet's resources and creates over 30% of the total waste. The rest of the world, from the 1950s to recently, has been reshaped as resource pools in service to feeding the U.S. economy, with each layer below more exploited and desperate. The U.S. is an empire in decline, and a giant with a current warfare strategy of common ruin, see Libya or Syria. The U.S. intelligence apparatus is largely arrayed against China's advance into Africa to, risk, to secure resources, and against its own citizenry to foment the, quote, right amount of division for purposes of maintaining control. The past economic collapses of 2008 and 2020 have been a massive wealth transfer upwards. The elites have made record profits while the wealth of the underclasses are drained and depleted. There is no incentive for capitalism to change course. It is doing what it is made to do, seek profit in all circumstances. Media largely dishes out propaganda and servile fawning on the powerful. News outlets are millionaire newsreaders working on behalf of billionaire owners, selling endorphin rushes of outrage porn until our receptor sites burn out, and undermining the trust in media as an institution. 
100 companies produce 70% of the world's carbon emissions. The U.S. military alone produces more greenhouse gases than the nation of Peru, which is 33 million people. If the U.S. military was its own nation, it would be the 47th largest polluter in the world. As the average planetary temperature increases, the likelihood of mass extinction events and suffering on a scale well beyond anything humans have experienced before skyrockets. There is no plan to address this. Instead, mouth noises and shrugs and media flax and legislation that doesn't go anywhere, feel-good plans that talk about 2050, gaslighting to attempt to convince people that you individually are responsible, tech, tech fixes and lofty goals well past the lifetime of the politicians and policymakers proposing them, well outside of accountability. In the empire, you are atomized because that is the way capitalism can sell you the most goods and services. Nuclear families split into individual consuming units, each with their own consumer needs. Highways full of people by themselves in vehicles competing for space and access. You are valued as a worker and consumer as long as you compete with other workers and consumers and go along with your exploitation. Fuck that. Fight to change your conditions. If you already are, good keep going. If you aren't, the ask is for you to start. The schism has already occurred. You can die passive while the world burns, or you can build a mass movement and change conditions. And I want 100,000 volunteer labor organizers, and I want 10,000 socialist political candidates. There's a movement to build, and the clock is ticking. Significant movement this decade is required. The truth is that workers organized together wield a great deal of power that can be used to improve conditions and to demand dignity and respect in the workplace. You can reject the frame that your role in this world is to be exploited. Instead, live and fight as one who is liberated. But that requires a conscious choice. You have to experience that power for yourself. Build those strike muscles. Build your ability to resist. That means organizing with other humans. That means building relationships of solidarity and common interests with those around you that can be organized. Start at your job. Are you in a union? Go to meetings, get involved, make your union militant and strong. No union? Connect with coworkers and learn union organizing and form a union. For real. Telling your boss with your coworkers that you deserve dignity and respect is empowering. Being organized is effective and is exhilarating. Change politics at the local level. Start building the skills and bench to take on political offices and ballot initiatives. Build the ground door-knocking campaign structure to push back against corporate greed proposals and mobilize for your candidates and issues. Neighborhood potlucks, neighborhood associations, school boards, city council, state legislature. These are all there for the taking. The conditions we're currently in lead a lot of people to despair. I've been there. I've been a young man with little investment in a society or belief in a viable future. I'm a father in my 50s now, seeing a generation coming up at a precipice, society clearly offloading externalized economic costs on the backs of the young, whose lives will be hotter and shorter on a wrecked planet struggling with mass displacement and famine. I want a mission for all of us, a focus for people and an organizing key. That means building circles connections, and learning how to work together to resist and leverage power to change this world. The other options are timelines much darker than I would wish on anyone, and if I can't believe that humanity can come together to change conditions, then what is the point? You don't have to be a perfect vessel. You don't have to have a degree or know exactly what to do. 
You do have to be flexible, you do have to love people particularly, and humanity generally, and you do have to integrate your skill set into the larger group and express and accept solidarity. No suicide missions, no savior complexes, no showboats. Instead, commitment to two-year projects, recruitment, and follow-through skills. Hey, that dog looks like a cat. Go see cow. When you go out to the lot, better watch out for old Spot. If he gets a little hot, go see cow. If you're looking for a better set of wheels, I will stand upon my head to beat all deals. I will stand upon my head till my ears are turning red. Go see cow. Go see cow. Go see cow. External Organizing Bakery Workers So I've worked most of my adult life as an artisan baker, about 20 years total. Bakery work can be hard, physical, hot, demanding, and baker's hours can be tough. Making great bread is a skill, and I love making bread with bakers in a team. In 2017, I left a long-term job at a bakery where I had worked my way up to head baker. I left, after a reorganization, put two managers above me who were directly hostile to the bakery workers and dismissive of workplace issues. A few years later, in 2019, when I joined my local Democratic Socialists of America chapter, as a chapter we read No Shortcuts, Organizing for Power in the New Gilded Age by Jane McLevy. This is a book on un organizing unions, and it was important for me. Labor is barely discussed in the United States, and even then, almost always from the viewpoint of billionaire capitalists and their subordinate media empires. Reconnecting with my former bakery co-workers in 2019, I heard that conditions had worsened. Bakers were struggling with rampant sexual harassment, permanent injuries, no path for advancement, all of which boiled down to a lack of dignity and respect for the workers. I asked a union member and activist for a recommendation on bakery unions. After making an initial contact and assessment, I met with organic leaders in the bakery. Organic leader is an organizer's term for workers who are not in management but who are respected by their co-workers, natural advocates who workers turn to for assistance and advice. We had an organizing conversation where I posed the question, based on how conditions have degraded over the past few years, will you still want to work here if nothing changes? I volunteered to be an external organizer to assist in the process of organizing the workers into a union. It was scary because I did not want to betray the trust given. The workers were taking the risks and I did not want to let them down in fulfilling my role. I read numerous books on organizing, took classes on organizing through my local Democratic Socialists of America chapter, and reached out to former bakery workers who had attempted to organize retail bakery workers some years earlier. One thing McLevy emphasizes is that to be an effective organizer, you have to actually love the working class and people broadly. You have to trust them and love them, accepting their limits and failures and joyous in their acts of bravery and resiliency. On a deeper level, it meant working harder to show that same love and acceptance to myself. If I hate myself, it's hard to love people. The bakery workers together declared for unionization, weathered the storm of mandatory meetings and pressure tactics from the bosses, and then voted for unionization decisively. Three months later, the pandemic would be in full swing. The contract took 13 months to negotiate during the pandemic and then ratify, with some twists and turns and rough patches in the process. 
When organizing at any capacity, one of the most crucial points is you and your coworkers are the union. You and your coworkers decide if you want to unionize and then bring that into existence. If your message is mommy union will fight daddy boss for you, then the workers are children and disempowered to have agency and own the conflict. Resistance is a learned experience. People online talk about calling for general strikes when most workers have never stood together with coworkers and risked something to change conditions. Organizing is building those resistance muscles and strength of the working class to change conditions. Another crucial point is that the work of an organizer is 80% listening. You as a worker, do you like people telling you what to think? Organizers have listening skills and then the training to ask the right questions in an organizing conversation. Then you as a worker decide for yourself what is at stake and what it will take to change your conditions. Labor campaigns are never perfect. There were missteps that I worked to correct and vowed to learn from to improve efforts on future campaigns and for the next contract. I also worked hard to make sure shop stewards, workers trained by the union to be advocates for themselves and their co-workers, had support, not always easy in a sea of pandemic layoffs and turbulent conditions. Labor organizing is a learned skill that frightens the masters. It is a calling that can become a vital mission for many in the U.S. right now, searching for meaningful activity to change conditions in this world. Organizing in your workplace is something you can learn and take on, especially in teams. There comes a time as a worker where instead of moving on to another exploitative job, you decide to stand and fight. Your workplace is where you will spend a third or more of your adult life and more than half your waking hours. You likely have very little influence on what is happening in other parts of the world while your workplace is right here. Democracy at work starts with workers deciding that dignity and respect in the workplace must be enforced and that worker solidarity, having each other's backs, is a culture that can be instilled by example. Without solidarity, we are atomized and weakened. Capitalism requires divided and conquered workers. The saying is true. Together we bargain. Divided, we beg. Organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America, Labor Notes, Jobs with Justice, all are vital resources in learning to use your labor power collectively. If you are looking for a way to change conditions with workers and take power from the bosses, organizing scares capitalism like almost nothing else. Organization is power, and the rulers want you to believe your only role in this world is passive consumption. You have the power to break free from this. You have the power to change the world around you. Be brave. Whew, holy shit, you made it to the end of the very first episode. I'm more of an organizer than a podcaster, so I'll work on polishing and see if I can't make a decent learning curve. But it turns out there's more to the story of bank robbery and politics and taking action in a troubled world. Please rate and review the podcast and tell three friends to listen. Sunder is written, edited, and produced by Brian Denning. You can contact Sunder at podcastsunder at gmail.com. Support the work being done here by subscribing on Patreon. You and your coworkers and neighbors and friends have this decade to change course and build a survivable path and a post-scarcity world. Commit to the mission and build your skills. Good hunting.